So what the fuck is the alt-right? Welcome to the Firebrands Podcast. Our show is dedicated to critical thinking on politics, religion, philosophy, science, and social issues. And I'm your host, Lee Moore, and joining me on my left is my good buddy, Mr. The Thinker himself. Hey, what's up, everybody? Just remember one thing. Well-behaved atheists rarely make history. True. And on his left, the professor himself, come on. Uh, it's Mitch J. Free Mitchell will doesn't J. exist. I'm not a Mitchell. I'm a Mitch. Hello. And of course, my my good buddy, my roomie, my one of my best friends on earth, Mr. John Kerbo. Hello, everybody. Just got out of Skeptic Camp, and I have a lot of thoughts, and I'm writing a short book on reforming the right. It's going to piss people off. Well, that's perfect for tonight, so... Yeah. And next, Andrew! My voice is going to take us on a journey of mystic and wonder tonight. Let's talk about the alt-right. Have a good time. So seriously, guys, what the fuck is the alt-right? I, I want to know. I... I've heard this concept, I've heard this term, I've heard it from Hillary Clinton, I've heard it from uh, that complete douchebag, Milo Yiannopoulos, or whatever the fuck his name is. What is the alt-right? Alright, so, let's go around and each have ourselves give uh, what we think the alt-right is. Let's not. Let's let's have you start, though. Alright, so here's what I think the alt-right is. It's a complicated thing, and it's one of those terms that has no clear definition because it's a relatively new term. But I had a discussion group about the alt-right recently, uh, about a couple months ago, with a friend of mine on Meetup. And here's how I defined the alt-right when I gave that Meetup discussion. The alt-right is basically the nationalist, protectionist, populist wing of the Republican Party who are against free trade, who are against open borders, who are against crony capitalism, and who are suspicious of free trade markets, uh, free markets and free trade, because they fear that these things not only um, are not working in their favor, uh, but they also tend to be mostly white, almost entirely, uh, and mostly rural and suburban, and probably a bit older, and for the most part, Donald Trump is their man, he's their candidate. So with his victory on November 8th, uh, a month ago, the alt-right, in a sense, scored a, victi- a, vi- a victory, and you can say that it, it probably is the case that the uh, the new dominant wing of the Republican Party is the alt right. The neocons of the George Bush era are not completely dead. They're not out of there. They're still there, operating in the establishment wing of the Republican Party. But the the people, you know, they're still in the donor class, but the the people of the Republican Party now has kind of pivoted over to the alt-right. And it seems that more and more likely we're going to be dealing with alt-right people and the alt-right philosophy for uh, the next four years, probably, at least. So, I mean, the alt-right is the dominant segment of the Republican Party. And one thing, let me just make one comment on the alt-right about their populism. One thing that's very weird to me is that it's weird how economic populism only really took off in the in the Republican Party once it was tied to white nationalism. Once rural 
and suburban white people saw economic populism as their means of maintaining their existence. Like the existential crisis in white America, and in, in mostly rural white America, has been through um, their disenfranchisement with free trade policies. And economic populism really only Word. caught on once they could get once they can get tied into white nationalism. And so now we have the alt-right, which uh, economically speaking is more in tune with Bernie Sanders uh, than the establishment Democratic wing of the Democratic Party. And those are the couple of the things I like about them. And so we're going to have a long discussion on this, but um, there are a couple of things about the alt-right that I like. There are mo- more things about them that I hate. Uh, I hate their xenophobia. I hate their idea of isolationism. Um, but I do generally like their popula- uh, their populist economic views. So um, those are my views. So John, what can you add to Mr. The Thinker's definition? Sure. So one thing I want to I want to look at this from the perspective of information warfare, and um, I want to clarify something really quick. My and there's a lot that I don't know about the alt right. I think the key things what? are. No, what I'm saying is that the best the best approach for people to use when investigating or discussing anything like the alt-right, is to use a skeptical scientific approach. And what that means is not so much that you have all the answers, it's asking the right questions. There's a word we use in the advanced levels of military planning and operations. We call it the OODA loop, O-O-D-A. That means observe, orient, decide, act. It's a constant feedback loop where you're refining the picture through which you see the world. You're looking at things, um, you know, the culture, the area, the history, and what's going on on the ground and you're always refining what you see and you're asking the right questions you're never letting your rigid views hijack your ability to accurately hone in on answers so i'm more interested in asking the right questions and how to apply a kind of information warfare analysis to understand the alt-right and i want to clarify something real quick even if most alt-right people support trump in varying degrees most trump supporters probably aren't alt-right or don't even know what the alt-right is um but what I want to give real quick is kind of uh, so my background is um, is a veteran in part is psychological warfare. And I want to give this from a psychological warfare perspective. Part of that entails understanding propaganda, not uh, understanding the intended audience, the secondary audience, the intended effects of the messaging and the narratives and what is um, the what is the intended outcome of people's messaging? Why are they doing it? Who are they trying to appeal to? And what are the channels of dissemination they're using? And what is the plethora of different messages and the differences in people within these movements? These are the questions we need to ask. So the alt-right, from what I understand, is mostly a meme-based, internet-based movement from various people across the internet. It's highly amorphous. It's been it's sort of aggregated under the umbrella of the term alt-right, but there's many people that identify as alt-right that may not share the views of other people that identify. So there's a lot of people that call themselves alt-right that may not identify, they're not racist, they're not white supremacists. There are many people that are racist and white supremacists. And this is important because words and narratives shape how we perceive these things and also how we amplify or diminish people's messaging and how we engage in counter-propaganda. So I'm going to hand that over to someone else. So Mitch, Mitch, let's hear from you. Hey, John, you said something that sort of uh, caught my attention here. You know, when we talk about conservatives or Republicans, there's all kinds of different subgroups. And the alt-right is definitely uh, a distinct group. Now, these groups that I'm about to mention are not mutually exclusive. That is, there's 
you can belong to several members of this group at the same time. But here are some kinds of conservatives or Republicans with that have had uh, certain labels that have become really popular over the years. So there's the, the Reagan Republicans, the kind of Republicans who sort of compromise, and a lot of modern-day conservatives look back upon those days fondly, even though they seem to misremember how things really happened. Then we have fiscal conservatives, people who might be very liberal on social issues, but once it comes to trickle-down economics or corporate tax breaks, they sound just like their other conservative peers. We have libertarians. Libertarians have a lot in common with, uh, with progressives and liberals and Democrats even. You know, these are the followers of Adam Smith, however. They believe in the invisible hand. Where they f- go astray is that they think that uh, if you let the economy run wild, everything will be fixed. You just need less regulation, smaller government, everything's okay. Then you have Christian conservatives. These are people who are just really, really religious and paradoxically sound very, very bigoted, despite the fact they follow someone, Jesus, a figure who supposedly was very uh, calm, very benign, very, uh, you know, a a defender of the poor, a very peaceful person. And many times Christian conservatives don't sound uh, very peaceful when they're speaking about their own particular beliefs. Then you have the establishment Republicans. These are the centrists. These are the people who win elections, people who know what you can give up and what you can't. They're the people who are the heads of the party. Right. They often betray their principles and policy. Certainly. Then we have the Tea Party Republicans. Those That was the last really big grassroots movement that came about before the alt-right. The Tea Party Republicans were really focused on, you know, uh, taxes, and uh, they had a, a really crazy element to them. Many, uh, many uh, nut jobs and racists and bigots uh, yeah. attended rallies very publicly, you know, yeah. in favor of uh, McCain. This is when McCain was running. This is when the Tea Party was really big. And uh, even when Romney was still running. And now, now we have the alt-right. And as uh, the thinker, Mike, and uh, yeah. Mr. Kerbo alluded to, th- they started from the internet. They were trolls. They said really aggressive, provocative things that would be blatantly racist and sexist if taken literally but they claim they're not being literal it's really a reaction to regressive left politics is what they claim probably a way to vie for attention and get their message out but at the same time a huge conversation we need to have and get the left to have is the counter reaction to political correctness well you're absolutely right and when we talk about the regressive left and the damage it's done the horrors it's wrought what do you expect from the right and this is exactly what we got we got this massive movement on identity politics, and Andrew, I want you to take it away. Okay, well, as those of you familiar with my voice that have heard, it's all about the resources. So all of these fights that we're having between the regressive left, alt-right, neocons, religious right, it's all about control and access over resources and how they're distributed. Think of the alt-right as the losers in globalism. While you, you have the establishment people, essentially the ones who are in power, the ones in power use their power to benefit themselves. So we're seeing policies that aren't flawed. They're deliberate successes to help themselves. And there are people, both on the left and the right, who don't like being the losers here. So on the right, they were the ones who were successful in the organization. The Sanders movement tried to, to organize. They were not successful. So now you have the all-right representative in the House, 
and it's all about resources. What the alt-right wants is direct resources towards their people. They're, a lot of them predominantly white, so you're going to have some white nationalists there because they, they've, they're the losers of globalization. Their jobs have been shipped overseas, and they want their power back. They want their resources back. They want a calling back to their old ways, and they view the, the other minority groups as infri- as uh, taking from the from the fixed pie of resources. So the they, so I view their racism, their sexism, xenophobia, etc., as trying to ice uh, to isolate and prevent other groups from pulling resources away from them. They want the economic popul- populism to benefit them, which is a perfectly rational thing to think. But as society, I want us to to move more towards a collaborative sharing mindset. So when we talk tonight about the regressive left, the alt-right, establishment, etc., I want us to view it from the perspective of, okay, these people, everyone's trying to direct more resources to themselves. So how can we work together and share the pie and work to expand it rather than let ourselves be divided and conquered by those who are currently in power setting policy? So, guys, we've talked about what the alt-right is, and I think we've kind of, like, sort of defined it. It's this weird internet troll kind of collective of uh, more, more... It's more of a reactionary It's a little bit broader the, than that. It's a little bit broader than that. Well, yeah. Honestly, it's more of a reactionary thing to the regressive left. That's yeah. that's my ultimate definition, but... It's, it's, a, it's also a reaction to free trade and... and uh, immigration. Um, immigra- liberal immigration policies, but also traditional neocon economic policies... That many people in the alt right think have hurt the average working class white person in you know any part of the country that is that is replacing jobs and leaving having them leave the country and is replacing them with low paying service jobs. It's a reaction to that as well. It's a big part of it. Oh, it's that, an economic view. Happening. It's it's a re, it's a it's a general rejection of globalism, uh, which both the left and the right establishment wings of the parties are embra- have have been embracing in the past right. couple decades a lot. You know, speaking of establishment Republicans, another way to tell the difference between an alt-right Republican and an establishment Republican is what they would say publicly, let's say, about women. So an alt-righter might say, like, oh, that woman is fat and ugly. And if you call that person sexist for saying it, they will try their best to eloquently and passionately explain why they can say that. Whereas an establishment Republican would be scared to death to say that, even if they might actually be yeah. sexist on the inside, it's that I, annoying I word cuck. Power and resources. That's, that annoying Whoa. word cuck is what they. I, Milo I, I, and Trump. Oh, hold on. I, I One somewhat, at a time. Come on, guys. Sorry. I somewhat disagree with you, Mitch. I think the the easiest way to distinguish an alt right person from a regular traditional Republican is to talk to ask them a question about free trade and economic policies, because that is where I think the the real dividing line is between the establishment Republicans who are like the Paul Ryan wing, who are like the Iron Rand philosophers. You know, free trade is good, low wages, open borders, bring in as much cheap That's labor true. as we can, versus. Close the border. Let's have a nationalistic kind well, of policy. Let's raise mm-hmm. wages. Let's let's keep jobs in America. Let's stop giving companies incentives you, you to outsource to, jobs. Well, you don't even really need to ask them. You just look at their at their situation. 
is this person benefiting or losing from the current trend, the current trend being globalism? Is this person on the winning side? They're highly likely to be an establishment person. If they're on the losing side, they're highly likely to, to be to not be an establishment person, to be an alt-right or maybe or on the Bernie Sanders left or somewhere a populist, someone who's not benefiting. So are you benefiting from the current system? But yes or no, that's yeah, where you are. Can I say something real quick, though? We, we identify uh, – Mike in particular identified some key traits of – uh, alt-righters, right? And the, those, your stance on free trade is one of those things. But another really key element is this idea of free speech, about being able to say what you want to say. Now, if you look at what uh, Milo or Donald Trump has said, you know, in, in recent months, they've said the kinds of things that establishment Republicans don't say. And they've been condemned openly by establishment Republicans like Romney and Jeb Bush and Ted Cruz, people like that. So I only saw, I'm not saying it's the, the best way to identify uh, an alt-righter, but it's certainly one of the key things, right? What are they willing to say in a public forum or an internet forum for that matter? Well, keep in mind who benefits from free speech and who is harmed by free speech. People who are currently in power don't like other people criticizing them. When if you're not in power, you want the ability to criticize those in power. So when we look at free speech, there, there is a reason that, that certain people on the regressive left, for instance, are suppressing free speech, as they benefit when it's suppressed and they can just force their way through. If you're on the losing end, you want more free speech so you can push your views through. It's pe- people are fighting over these resources, and one of the reasons that I love free speech is I'm an atheist. So if, if I can't speak freely about my issue, then, then the religious establishment, the, the, the liberal religion, conservatives, whatever form of establishment it is, they're gonna, they push back on me. So if I can have free speech, I can say atheist things and, and say, safely. But they would like to sh- shut me down because that's more power for them. So we have to recognize that it's, it's a giant power struggle, and we need to, to work with each other to, to move past this and to, and to be more collaborative, or else we're just going to keep fighting each other over power, and battle one, one day is going to be lost another day. Well, I, I kind of want to ask you guys about this like current like queen of the alt-right, or whatever the fuck he's calling himself, Milo Yiannopoulos. What is your what are your thoughts on this this individual? Well, I, I told, dangerous faggot. Well, I told I, told, I actually told this to I was at a Christina Hoff Summers event and I, I spoke on the mic and suggested that we build incubators at universities, basically safe spaces for if you want to call it that, collaborative incubators to to build a bridge between the skeptical free thought community and student activism for the purpose of teaching. Um, of, of discussing critical thinking and science and logic and how that can amplify social activism and actually make it better. And at the same time, we can really hone in on issues of social justice. But in doing that, we got to build bridges between people across the spectrum. I think Milo is doing a lot of good things, but at the same time, he needs to be better at building bridges. And I'd like to talk to Milo. I'd like to have, literally sit across from him, have a dialogue, and there's a lot we could actually hone in on. Well, from what I've seen of Milo, he has absolutely no interest in building any bridge. He's openly attacked atheists on numerous occasions, called us all kinds of dirty names, and once again, ranted and raved about his ideology and how it's so much better. He's a great communicator, but he's so wrong about so many things. And he's not interested in being right, 
because it's fucking paying his bills. Well, he's a non-serious actor. He's a troll. So he, he found his base. He's making great money. He's having a lot of fun. And he's figured out that if he can go out there, find groups who have buttons and push them, hey, I can get a following and make a lot of money. So he, he, I, he's not a serious actor. He's, he's found a niche as, as doing what he does, and, and he, he does well for himself. So he, he's, he, he's, people who are desperate have latched on to him as a talking point because he, he, uh, he's very good at neutralizing his opponent's attacking points. Like the progressive left, well, oh, you're a straight white male, you shut up. And this guy's like, no, I'm gay and fabulous. So he, he attacks a lot of the points and he's very good. He also has black boyfriends, does. many black boyfriends. Yeah, he, he, has, he is in love with Mitch right boyfriends now. We've never yeah. seen, so. He's, he's a troll and he makes money. Look, I'll say this as a from a Saya perspective, and I love people. I love if Crowder and Shapiro would somehow, you know, get this to Milo. But I, this this is my message to Milo Yiannopoulos from a, as a Saya veteran who understands psychological warfare. All right, here's my advice: You're trying to combat the regressive left. I understand that. In doing that, you have to understand your different target audiences and how to better communicate them, or how to communicate with them, and also how to build bridges. So let me explain to Milo what we did in uh, Al Anbar in Iraq. We built bridges with the tribes. And we understood the nuances of how to communicate and build a friendship with people we could agree with and find common ground with. Even people that were insurgents or were supportive of Sunni insurgents. Even people that didn't like us. We had to find ways to work with them to unite them against al-Qaeda, at least to create a temporary buffer against foreign fighters coming into Iraq. There's an approach to doing this. It is about working with tribes and building bridges. We are different tribes ideologically, politically, and morally. So Milo's approach... Uh, he could learn a lot from the PSYOP handbook and from the human terrain playbook we used in Afghanistan. John, I w- so, uh, yeah, you're, you're yeah. absolutely wrong, though, because he doesn't care. He does not care about building bridges. He cares about hey, his paychecks. Tell him to talk he to He cares me. about his own personal wealth. I would like to educate him. His own him. personal survival. Well, Milo, I will educate you. <laughs> I mean, not if, not if it were On what? Hold on, hold on, hold on. John, give us one clear issue in which you would educate Milo on right now. Make it quick. Okay, well, he may he may he may actually agree with this, but okay, there's areas you can build bridges with people on the left. Okay, it's not about everyone on the. Uh, he knows this, I'm sure. Not everyone on the left is aggressive, so you may not win over the hardliners. You identify the moderates, build a bridge on something you agree with. Moral psychology, Jonathan Hate 101, right? So, drug war and justice reform. That is a vibrant issue on which we can find common ground and move from as Andrew's talking about this conflict model of zero sum where it has to be a winner and a loser, and, and actually move to a non-zero where we all win. John, There's many issues we can do what this. Are, hold on. It, yeah. It's one thing to vaguely say we can do this, but sure. some issues are binary. Some are, absolutely. And the, the big issues, those big issues that it seems like you just, you're either with them or against them, that's what creates these divisions in politics. Absolutely, it's the big issues. Enshrines the so, false binary. Yeah. So I, I agree that ideally we should all be working towards the same goal. That is to build a safe, happy, productive, prosperous nation where people can be free and wealthy and everything. Yeah. But um, over time, what we've discovered is there are big issues that divide us. Yeah. So I don't really think like you know I'm going to have to agree with Lee here. I don't see where the room is for compromise. You know, hold on. There's a lot of issues. Hold on, man. Let me, let me let me let me give my three cents. Let on. the thinker fucking throw it in. <laughs> let the motherfucking thinker give his motherfucking three cents in. All right, motherfucker. Here, here's what I. Here's my view on the motherfucking alt right, including that dangerous faggot who we all want to fuck secretly 
Milo Yiannopoulos. <laughs> all right, here's what here's my view on him. He is right in terms of pointing out the absolute absurdities of regressive leftism, whether that's coming from the feminist wing of regressive leftism, or it's coming from the denying Islam has anything to do with terrorism, regressive leftism, which some of us in this fucking room actually agree with. No, we don't. Uh, some of us do. You can get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> Look, he points out legitimate criticisms of what goes on in the liberal echo chamber when there are no people to criticize any ideas that are developing from a liberal, whether it's from a feminist or from a regressive leftist, from, from anything. He points out legitimate criticisms. He's not right on his overall philosophy, but he points out good points in his, in his criticism. And that's why, that's why us liberals have to be open to and embrace criticism like people like Milo and like people like other people on the on the right, alt-right, whatever, what have you, of our philosophies to always keep ourselves in check so that we're never existing in the echo chamber, so that we always have to the, we, we're always forced to justify our philosophy from the ground up of why we think we're right on any, every single particular issue. We all think secularism is good. Why is secularism good? You point to your average atheist in a meeting. Can they justify why secularism is good? Really? Philosophically? Deeply? We're, we're pro-choice? Why is being pro-choice good? Do you know how to defend the pro-choice point of view when you're forced to defend it in the lion's den? If you were in a room surrounded by conservatives? Or would you fucking fall apart surrounded by conservatives trying to defend the pro, pro-choice point of view? A lot of liberals would honestly fucking fall apart. Because they don't know how to defend their views. Because more and more, the left and the right have existed in echo chambers yeah. for the past couple of decades. And what ha- what happens is, views are That's advanced, opinions are advanced, and there is no real criticism of things that both liberals and conservatives take for granted. Because we're living in echo chambers. But what I like to do, as a liberal... Is I like to go to the fucking lion's den, and yeah. I like to surround myself with conservatives or religious people because I'm an, I'm a fucking atheist, and I want to hear the best fucking criticism that you have to offer me. I want to hear the best fucking argument against my point of views. I don't want to take anything for granted. I don't want to make. I don't want any of my assumptions to be taken for granted. I want to be able to defend from the ground up all of my point of views. And that's what liberals are failing to doing, and conservatives Absolutely. to also a degree. And people like Milo are good in the sense, even though I, I, I disagree with his overall philosophy, it's good to have people like him on the stage to challenge liberals so that you're, so that liberals are forced to step out of the fucking echo chamber and defend your point of view intellectually and philosophically and evidentially with evidence from the ground up. Everything from liberal economic views, abortion, same-sex marriage, everything, because we've become too complacent, yeah. because we've, we've gotten smug in our, on our views. Like, we've won the, we, the culture war. By, liberals have won the culture war, by and large, over the past couple decades. And so what we're doing is we're living in our liberal echo chambers in big cities around the country or around the world, yeah. and what we're doing is we're not 
uh, in, engaging with people who have legitimate criticism of our points of view. And so that's why I like Milo Yiannopoulos. I don't agree with his overall philosophy, but we need actors like that to challenge liberals, to put them on their feet, and to make them address their point of views and, and, and philosophically justify liberal point of views. Because you'll be amazed. You make a lot of assumptions, and you assume a lot of things that, that, that you don't actually have justification yeah, for. You're willing to so change we need your mind. That. I, to I've got to say, I've, I've got to say, my Mister the Thinker, the rant you just gave gave me like half a Woody. Like you're so right. I wasn't paying attention. But at the same time, Milo Yiannopoulos and people like him are responsible for the fact that Donald Trump is about to be our president. Yes, I know that Hillary Clinton was not a liberal. She was not a progressive. She was not one of us. She supported big banks. She supported like these terrible ideas. But people like Milo said. This was so bad on the left that we have to go completely fucking Mike Pence level crazy. Yeah, false binary. So we've got four years now of absolute hell and terror that we got to deal with. And what are we going to do about that, liberals? Well, uh, what what are we going to do about that, progressives? Come on. I don't think I don't think Milo actually agrees with Mike Pence on a lot of social stuff. No. He, he, well, he, Mike Pence has come the, out in like hardcore I against know, but like he, atheism. He, he's kind of like I think Milo's point of view. And I don't know this one hundred percent. Milo's point of view is basically we'll deal with the Mike Pence shit for now because we agree with Donald Trump more on immigration and assimilation and shit like and globalism and those issues take precedent. And if Mike Pence is going to pull back a uh, liberal social progressive um, movements on things like same-sex marriage over the past 30 years, then we'll deal with that. But the main important thing is let's keep the Muslims out, let's keep the Mexicans out, let's bring jobs back in America. That's that's the that that's the cost-benefit analysis people like Milo do in terms of evaluating the issues. We'll deal with the Mike Pence religious right bullshit in exchange for getting someone like Donald Trump who will seal the fucking border and prevent Muslims and Sharia law from coming to America. Well, if Mel could break through the echo chamber and get people to think for themselves, that's good. Here's my quick 30-second caveat to what you said. Here's what liberals need to do if they want to train themselves, if they want to go Rocky Balboa and try to push back against this. Here's what you need to do. If you're on the left and you're listening to this, and many of you do this, but most of you don't, here's what you need to do. Go to places you're uncomfortable with where you disagree with people. I do this all the time across all sides. I disagree with people across the board, and I have views across the board. I'll go to the lion's den, on the left, on the right, all of it. I'll have a flask of whiskey, and I'll go into the fucking lion's den, and I'll discuss and debate and engage with people I disagree with. And I'll, most first of all, be willing to change your mind. Embrace the Carl Sagan. That's what the left needs to learn to do, and the right as well. Well, I... This is all great, but let's talk about why people should be doing this. I believe it's our job as podcasters to, con- to convince people of why they should be doing this. Why should you go out of your comfort zone? Especially if there's a quick fix so you can, so you can get power by suppressing dissent. Why should you go this alternative route to, for this long-term fix of growing out of your comfort zone, becoming more mature, making better arguments. Why should you do that when there's this quick fix present of suppression? And the answer is, you don't have absolute power. This election was the ultimate proof that people, that we just don't have it. We have to get along with each other as a full society. We have to get along with each other as, as a full society. Having the ability to go out and get out of your comfort zone and argue and debate with people and criticize each other, that's how we grow and build. And if we don't grow and build, it's a fight. 
and you might not win a fight. As the, as Clinton supporters discovered, you, you don't always win the fight no matter how much the deck is stacked in your favor. So no matter how much you see this short-term fix of, oh, let's just suppress the other side, that's not going to solve the problem. The only way that we can actually grow and solve problems and get more resources is if we learn to work with each other, learn how to criticize each other, and learn how to grow with each other. If we don't do that, then we're screwed. Well, folks, on that note, it's time for our commercial break. And we're back, and once again, no sponsors, so give us all your money, we'll plug wherever the fuck you want, unless we don't like it, and we probably won't. So the alt-right, we've been talking about it all night, but we all kind of agree with the alt-right on one thing and one thing alone, that's free speech is sacred, it's something that needs to be protected. As an, as an atheist, I need the First Amendment, the First Amendment is what allows me to exist. But the rest of the alt-right, it's kind of scary, it's kind of horrible, it's kind of destructive, and... I'm sorry, but Milo is a horrible human being and needs to be stopped, but but guys and girls, if you're here, what do we do about the well, alt-right? Well, I, want to, I want to talk to you, Mr. The Thinker. Let me, let me bounce this back. Hold on. Mr. Okay. First off, I want to talk to Mr. The Thinker. Okay. Can we, like, introduce me again? Because, like, Mr. I, haven't gotten a proper, I haven't gotten a proper introduction. You, you WWF. Proper I want the thinker. I want the trumpets. I want everything come out, the red bum, carpet. Bum, out. Bum, bum, bum. Mr. The Thinker. What's the question again? Mike the Milo What fan. do we do about the alt-right? Here's what we do about the alt-right. As liberals, and I'm using that in the very broad sense of liberals. Maybe progressive would be better. Us us non-regressive liberals, how about that? We're, we're all non-regressive liberals. Progressive is the better term. No, but but a lot of progressives are regressive, actually. Which is an irony in terms, but... Yeah, that's literally a, a, lot a of, contradiction of speech. Yeah, but it... In terms of their ideology, you a lot can't of people be a progressive I'll, and a regressive. Uh, you can. I understand that, but a lot of pe- anybody can call themselves whatever the fuck they want. You can call yourself a, a conservative Jew and be for gay marriage. It's a contradiction, but you can do that. That's the God whole damn, fucking your point. Your passions get me horny. All right. Yeah. So, as you recede to flaccidism from your penis, that's not going to happen. Let me tell you how Unless we defeat. Help. We don't defeat the all right. What we do is. We take the best criticism of the left from the alt-right. We consider it, and we use it to guide how we can possibly change the left. So, I don't consider myself a regressive leftist, okay? I consider myself a progressive, quote-unquote. I consider myself a liberal who knows what the fuck is going on. And what I would love to do so, is so to is debate an alt-writer. I would love to debate an alt-writer. I would love to debate Milo. I would love to debate Ben Shapiro. I would love to debate anybody. And what I would do in the debate is I would concede the best arguments they have against the left that I think are correct. Like the ridiculous SJW nonsense. The regr- the ridiculous ultra-PC feminist nonsense and i would say okay i agree with you now what have you got and so what you do is you disarm them because their best argument against the left has just been conceded and and then we would say okay i would say okay now what have you got you've said the regressive wing of the of of liberals are insane they're promoting ideas that are ridiculous what have you got after that what do you support gay marriage do you support basic gender equality? Do you support free speech? Do you support secularism? And then I would try to come with them on a kind of 
uh, agreement of, of, of ideology. If they, if they agree with secularism, I'm for that. If they agree with basic gender equality, I'm for that. If they agree with equal rights for gay people, I'm for that. If they agree with free speech on college campuses, I'm for that. And so what I would do is try to get on the same page with them while conceding the ridiculous things that come out on the right that I don't stand for. And so that's how you defend the, that's how you debate the alt-right properly. And when they make their most extremist points of view, they're the alt-right equivalent of the far-left things that go on the left in the regressive domain of the left. What you do is you argue against them, and that's what you do. Well, next up, I want to hear from uh, our resident, like, professor, our, our genius on math and engineering, the the guy behind all of our math and engineering, Professor Mitch J. What do you got? No comment. Bullshit. Um, just kidding. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with Mike, uh, the thinker, on many of... I don't have the same passion he does. He, he really let it out there for a second. Yeah, his passion actually kind of made my nipples hard. Put your clothes on, Mike. That, that really uh, threw me off guard. I am now flaccid, just for the record. Not for long. I have no interest, as Mike pointed out, in defeating the alt-right. I think there are good ideas and bad ideas. And I want the good ideas to win. And I agree that debate... It's a, it's a good way to have good ideas trump bad ideas, no well, pun intended. Yeah, that's that's a guy who's full of uh, bad ideas. Also, the alt-right, you know, it's it's a minority of, of Republicans. I mean... It's becoming the mainstream, though. That's the thing. I, because of Donald Trump's victory, it's becoming the mainstream. So don't think of them as a minority. Think of them as a former minority who are now going to become the majority. I mean, we definitely shouldn't underestimate them, because even if they are a minority, they might be the minority that swings an election. Hint, hint, wink, wink. So that's really important. You know, I mean, we already know who's going to vote for the establishment Democrat, who's going to vote for the establishment Republican. So in a sense, the influential minority vote uh, can be the most uh, significant. But yeah, other, other than the fact that... Um, where liberals and, well, well non-regressive liberals and alt-writers, what they have in common is they're definitely for freedom of speech. They're not hypocritical about it. So that's one thing we have in common. But once the alt-writers actually open their mouths and say what they have to say, I don't think there's really much room for compromise. So I think step one is to say yes, say what you want to say, and step two is to say what you're saying is ridiculous. Yeah, here's a quick caveat. I'm going to bounce it to you, Andrew, real quick, but just to take 30 seconds, um, talking about you're talking about the combat mindset and people learning to fight, but they often go about it the wrong way. An analogy here is mixed martial arts. It's a laboratory for refining your uh, understanding of combat in a real-life experiment with another human being. Uh, the, regret, the, the analogy there in critical thinking is exposing yourself to a dialectic, to views you're uncomfortable with, and seeing your blind spots so you can improve. There, if, if critical thinking and argument were mixed martial arts, what the SGWs have been doing is swinging at a, blindly at a paper bag, and they're, they're, they're going to get their asses kicked. They, if they want to learn how to fight, they need to learn how not to fight. In the spirit of things like judo, it's about maximizing efficiency, minimizing effort, and having mutual benefit. Listen to other people, shut the fuck up, and cultivate some damn humility. Read more Carl Sagan. 
Uh, longer than 30 seconds, so it, uh, bouncing that to you. It's a little bit more complicated than that, though, in my opinion. In general, you're right. It, it's, a, it's an analogy to reach the common people. But we, what we really need to think about is why are people set racist or sex? Why are they saying racist things? Why are, why are other people trying to suppress speech? If we want to solve our problems, we have to ask the question why and seriously try to answer it. Why are people? Why is the alt right being so racist? So uh, and and why are they trolling? What, what's with the, the Nazi memes? Because it fucking well, works. It gets attention. It pisses uh, off liberals who are triggered by anything, and it's used deliberately to yeah. trigger the fuck out of them. That's what it's used. Cyber sorry, warfare. It's all about I mean, power. I, as a liberal, have been using the whole like Nazi thing, like Godwin's law, for years now. Like, yeah, you're saying something horrible. You're a fucking Nazi. You're Hitler. It works. I don't know. It's cyber warfare. It's sensational. I don't, also, I, uh, some of them are just racist. I don't like the Hitler. It's all about of... power. They're, they're racist because they want more resources and they don't want the other group to get the resources. So some of them. Some of them. On its, on its when you head. say resources, can you define that? Because I think people hear that they might take it in a very cold, callous way. I think what you mean is the, the fear of losing your, your ability to live as a dignified person, fear of economic loss, very genuine human concerns. You know, resource, uh, money, the, the uh, airtime, people listening to you about your concern. Media to- airtime is also a resource. The amount of time that you can get. I mean, Trump won his election because he had billions of dollars in free airtime. Bernie Sanders, on the other hand, was basically blacked out. So, media airtime is a resource. Money, the ability to live and to pay for your, to pay for your kids, to buy food, to buy housing. Access to jobs. What kind of job can you can you work at? And most people, we network into jobs in, in our society. What kind of jobs you network into? If you're if, if you're of one race and everyone at the other job is of another race, it's going to be harder to share differences. It might be harder for a person to to get this type of job that pays for themselves. So these are issues that people think about. So resources are. Money is one, airtime, jobs, the ability to get what you need to live a comfortable life for you and your family. So that's why we have these issues. Racism, sexism, homophobia, all these things will, for the most part, go away if we can figure out how to live with each other without the need to to combat. Scarcity is really the number one issue. The resources that we have are scarce. How do we distribute them? And that's the, that's the question with government. People argue about the size of government. They argue about all of the power dynamics. It's all about the scarcity of resources, how to distribute them. And the racism, sexism, etc. comes from people attacking each other to get whatever, to get more resources for them, whether that's airtime, access to jobs, more networking for their group. So like white nationalism, network... They want more networking for their for a group of people who think like them, more jobs for people who think like them. Now, obviously, we can't have one nationalist group of people doing all the things, so we have to work work this out with them. But that's not going to be done through suppression. It's going to be done through through talking with each other in dialogue, and that's why free speech is so important. Okay, let's talk about one thing here that uh, happened recently that I think is a pertinent issue to the overall debate, and that is that Donald Trump negotiated a deal with Carrier to keep their jobs here. Now, they didn't keep all the jobs here. They're still outsourcing they kept a thousand jobs here. They're still outsourcing several hundred jobs to Mexico. But, could you picture a Hillary Clinton or a or Obama doing that kind of thing for working class people in the country? What the left has done, 
the establishment wing of the Democratic Party has done is it's given way to neoliberalism. And neoliberalism, as I understand it, are liberals who are uh, uh, Democrats who are liberal on the social issues. But what they are are they're hawkish on foreign policy and they're pro free trade. They're, they, they've basically shrugged their shoulders and given up on the idea that we can keep jobs in America. Paul Krugman of the New York Times is a, is, a, is a perfect example of this. He has written that, you know, the jobs are leaving America, they're never coming back, we just got to get used to it. And so the mainstream wing of the Democratic Party has given into free trade. They basically said, well, we got to train other people for other stuff, at best we can do that. But those jobs are not coming back. And so a Republican like Donald Trump was able to keep some jobs here. And that scores him huge points with working class people, white or non-white, around the country. And that's where the Democrats are losing the fucking argument. They're not authentically fighting for the working class by trying to keep jobs here. No fucking Democrat other than the Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party, who are considered for the most part a fringe group of the Democratic Party, are trying to keep uh, industrial jobs, working class manufacturing jobs here in the country. Bernie Sanders has this new Keep Jobs in America uh, uh, plan, bill that he wants to have passed, and it's great. But most Democrats are not fighting for that. And so think about it from the from the most logical point of view from a Republican is how do I win over people again? I undercut the Democrats who have given in to fucking free trade and fucking neoliberal neoliberal policies. And what I what what we can do as a result of that is uh, spew out populist rhetoric and win over the average working class people around the country and that's exactly how they won this fucking election and the democrats need to embrace once again the bernie sanders philosophy on economics and once they do that again they'll be able to undermine the alt-right and uh, agenda because they'll be able to have the populist economic views without the xenophobic uh, immigration policies and racism that the trump alt-right wing has had what if I told you that the Democrats would rather lose than take power by giving, by letting the Bernie wing uh, fly? I, I agree with you because I think that the Democratic, uh, the establishment Democratic wing of the of the uh, Democratic Party, uh, basically is in cahoots with big business, and it's al- I almost think that in a certain way that they want to lose because the people who are funding our the Democratic politicians' re-election campaigns want the right agenda they just they're just trying to pay for republicans and, and democrats just in case whoever wins they feel that they have the ability to have control over whoever wins but i think that in a sense the democrats want to lose uh, elections purposely just so that the those people can get what they want uh, economically speaking power and resources yeah i've said before the establishment wing of the democrats doesn't give a shit about black people and poor people now there's individual democrats that certainly do and i want to make that distinction but i want people to notice this and i want to kind of plant a flag on that point because this resonated with the country people are starting to see through the veil of bullshit within both parties and that handed the contest to someone like trump who stepped in right but here's the thing though the alt-right has a strategic advantage in that they've got 
populist economic views on their side combined with nationalism and isolationism. And that's a very potent force that the establishment wing of the Republicans have never fucking thought about before. And so this new ideology of the alt-right that is becoming more and more a do- the dominant ideology of Republicans has a, a unique threat to the democratic platform that we have never thought about before. Because traditionally, we have always been against the Paul Ryan wing of the, of the party. Uh, libertarian views, uh, low taxes, free trade, open borders, bring as much cheap labor as possible here, outsource as many jobs as possible because it's good for business, and whatever's good for business is good for you out there in America. Most of America and the alt-right have rejected that, and so they've embraced this ideology that is more populist, and unless the Democrats re-embrace the populist philosophy of those like Bernie Sanders, we're never going to be able to wing, win against the alt-right and when we have the alt-right we're going to have the we're going to have the populist um uh uh economic philosophy for the most part but it's going to be tied to white nationalism mike that's that's the problem we have right now mike i have a question for you did we win against the tea party the tea party for the most part i've heard is done they're, they're, they're not really... I mean, some of it has evolved into the alt-right, but for the most part, the alt-right is the thing now. Is The alt-right is the thing I that disagree. won the national well, election. The, the Tea Party never won simple. on the national well, 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 stage. Well, they've, won, they, they've won in congressional districts, they won in senator, uh, senators, but they never had the, the, the president... Uh, we've never had a Tea Party well, president in the well, White House. Now we have an alt-right president. It's not an well, accurate measure of... Hold, hold, hold on, hold on. Hold on a second. There's, Which is a significant there's, like There is one really obvious comment to make about what you just said. I mean, I agree that Donald Trump as a president, it, it's true that alt-righters see him as a leader of their movement, but the vice president is Michael Pence. And Michael Pence is one of the biggest leaders of the Tea Party. He is a super-duper Tea Party guy, the face of the Tea Party. So right now, if we look at the executive branch of government, or we should say the the soon-to-be executive branch of government, we've got a president who the alt-righters love, and a vice president who's probably going to be running everything, who is the Tea Party, you know, supreme leader. Yes, but the... It's not that simple. Uh... Mike Pence certainly is a Tea Party guy. He's extremely socially conservative on the social issues. He turned me he's, straight with he's, his electroshock he, therapy. I used to be gay. He turned me straight. I thank you, Mike me, Pence. Me too. But Milo, Milo's pulling me back. They're both still gay. He 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 needs to shock Milo into straightdom. You know, to make him straight again. <laughs> that 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 that's always been my my biggest like question about uh, the, the Milo wing of the alt right. Is like, how do you support? Uh, Mike Pence. I don't think he's ever been challenged on that, and that is because a lot of leftists just don't fucking challenge him. They ignore him. You got to fucking address. You got to challenge fucking people. That's you a really good point. Again. Like Milo is you know? gay, and Milo Michael is Pence gay. freaking hates. But gay Milo people. is a self-hating gay to an extent, in that he thinks being straight is the right way to be. No, and he, he thinks, thinks his he th- black he, boyfriends make him cool. No, he he thinks that. Um, homosexuality is wrong and it's not really what nature intended it's kind of like an experiment of nature but uh, when when Milo did uh, his long interview with Joe Rogan of which Joe Rogan uh, slammed him on the atheist shit uh, on on his, his religious rhetoric he destroyed him on that but what Joe Rogan pinned him on 
was his attitudes towards homosexuality. And Milo thinks that the, the proper way to be is straight. He happens to be gay, so he's an anomaly. He's not going to become straight, necessarily. But he, his view is he, he, he's proud to be gay, but in the same exact, at the same exact time, he wishes, in a sense, that he was straight. Do you know his views on gay marriage? I don't want to speak this for Milo. My, my, Milo, Milo actually is like a traditional fag in which, like, he thinks, like, gay people should be just, like, you know, going to nightclubs and hooking up and walking out of a, a gay club with two beautiful black men on your arms at 4 a.m. in the morning. He's, he's not for the, he's not for gay marriage, have, have really, but he's not Milo? necessarily against him. Has he said all this? I, I don't want to speak for Milo. He said that on the Dave Rubin interview on the Rubin Report uh, six months ago. I could care less about. He also said all atheists are idiots. So he's totally wrong on atheists. Let's. I could care less about people. And I would love to debate Milo on atheism. I would fucking destroy his ass. I just. We all would. But Democrats are too fucking pussy to challenge him because Democrats have become snowflakes. Like you said, they don't have to fight because they don't practice jiu-jitsu. They've gotten smug because they think they've they've won the culture war. And so academia and the liberal segments of the country, they have the dominant fucking view. And so they're not willing to engage in people who disagree with them, which is fucked up. Well, on that note, folks, it's plug time. And we're going to start with Michael John and whatever the fuck he wants to plug. His butt. Holy shit. My butt is already plugged right now, and I'm about to plug Lee's butt. You're sitting you know? on your microphone. I mean, who That's would? Right. I have a microphone in me right now. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what it's going to do. It's going to make me straight again. Every time you talk like Forrest Gump, you don't do a very good job of that. I do a good job. I may not be too smart, but I know You're running love our is. Black Panther Party. You should go back to your college now. I'm sorry about that, Jane. <laughs> Jeez. I don't really have anything to plug right now. All I want to do is plug two words. Free dumb. We need freedom. <laughs> we need freedom right now. Donald Trump freedom is Donald Trump free. is ma- basically the main dude of the alt right, but he's been talking a lot of anti freedom shit. He wants people have to have stripped of their citizenship for burning the flag or a year in jail. That's totally anti constitutional. The constitution has ruled burning the flag is free speech and stripping people of their citizenship is unconstitutional. That's been the law since like seventeen eighty nine been a long fucking time i just want to plug freedom and free inquiry and i want people on both the left and the right to respect free inquiry and to have an open dialogue of people of of different a diversity of opinions mitch what do you want to plug as usual you can find me on twitter ifwro uh at free willis false also you've mentioned dave rubin quite a bit I would strongly recommend that you avoid the Young Turks, but you check out Dave Rubin, who's gone solo and has become a secular superhero. He's also given a very brief, just a few-minute introduction and summary of the alt-right. So if you want to find out more about this issue, go on YouTube, look up the Rubin Report. Mr. Kerbo. Sure. So I'm actually finishing a very short book, among several. Uh, This one's about how we can reform the right by empowering free thinking and science movements among young conservatives, and any conservative, actually, and how we can counter the alt-right by a movement of dissatisfied conservatives, but based on, not on rigid ideology, but on uh, scientific thinking and compassion. So basically, how can we create a schism and a civil war within the right? to reform it in a very positive direction using the tools of information warfare but in an honest way. This comes partly from my sci background and partly from models from people uh, like Jonathan Haidt, moral psychology, and things like that. 
And uh, it's about how to have better conversations across the left and the right. And we're going to go into that uh, in this book and in future podcasts. Andrew. Well, there are two books that greatly influenced my thinking. One is The Dictator's Handbook by Bruce Bueno de Mesquia, and the other is The New Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John Perkins. Read these books and get a sense of what I'm talking about when I mention resources and people are fighting over them. And basically, I expand on those to, to explain why people do what they do. They explain the economics and the politics by expanding those incentives into the social world. That's the kind of stuff that interests me, so check out those two books when you get a chance. Well, as far as I go, I still want to plug the Firebrands podcast. Check us out. Keep listening to us, and we'll be back next week with a whole new episode and a whole new subject. So, you've been listening to the Firebrands, and we love you for doing it. We're out.